If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Sorry about that. I had to unmute my mic. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I am Kim Hakem, your host. I'm super excited about my show today. My guest is going to actually be our keynote speaker at our live cybersecurity conference in Dallas, Texas next week. For those of you that may be new listeners to the show today, I run a company called FutureCon Events, and we run and produce cybersecurity conferences through North America. Before I um, invite my uh, guest today on the show, I want to express my opinion about a recent post I saw on social media, which ties into another post made by my guest today. Over the past month, I've seen a particular person, I won't mention names, companies, who happens to be the chief information security officer of a very large global company, making a ton of noise about his frustration about security vendors calling him. And I totally get his frustration. I get bombarded by sales calls every day, all day. It's annoying. It's annoying when they call me out of the blue, when they use fake numbers to look like it's in my area code and they're in a different state and they just catch me off guard. It's it's very frustrating. I get it. You know, I understand people's frustrations about salespeople. You're not going to earn my business by catching me off guard. But going back to the post I saw, the post was very rude and I felt it was very uncalled for. He had tons of comments You know, he just put something out there, stop calling me, you know, I don't want to talk to you. He had tons of comments from his peers agreeing and chiming in. He had salespeople agreeing and chiming in, which I thought was odd because I thought they would have, you know, that would have been, that was pretty gutsy of them because he was directly talking about them. There was one person that kind of called him out and said, don't you have a sales and marketing marketing department that is responsible for selling your goods and services? This is a very large global company. I was very intrigued by this post, so I continued to follow it because ironically, I actually get tons of sales calls from that company he works for. I thought it was a little bit of a, a hypocrisy that he works for the same company that has this pretty big sales and marketing. They're they're pretty intense, the sales and marketing division that they have. But these people that are calling me are the people that are responsible for the revenue of the company, which allows him to have his salary. He commented on many of the responses, but never on the one that called him out on that. You know, I get it. When I got out of the Navy in my 20s, I had no clue what I was going to do with my life. So I needed to make money. I did the craziest sales jobs you could imagine. This kind of ages me a little bit, but my first sales job was selling world books. I was out there knocking on doors, trying to sell encyclopedias. Kind of crazy. It eventually landed me into telecom. I cold called businesses, trying to get them to switch their long distance provider, which again, kind of ages me. But I understand I cold called. It's not fun. You get yelled at, you get hung up on, you get ignored. But as a young person, I thought I was making a lot of money. And there's always that one person that you're going to get a bite from. So it's, you know, I I feel like we do living in our country, 
<laughs> we have the perk that we're um, able to work in a free enterprise society. <laughs> excuse, excuse me. That's not what my show's about today. And I have to take a drink. Today's guest has a lot to say about the subject of um, what I'm talking about. And he posts a lot of comments about this matter. My guest is a very <coughs> well-respected um, person in the cybersecurity community, Alan Al Alford. He is a chief information security officer for Tr uh, Trust Math. I'm going to welcome you to the show, Alan, because I'm having a choking attack here. Welcome <laughs> right. to the show. Sorry about that. Thank you um, so much. I got like some dust in the air. I have a whole bunch of construction going on outside. So something, something's going on. But okay. Alan also has a great uh, podcast called the Cyber Ranch Podcast. Can you just tell us a little bit about that so I can kind of gather myself? Yeah, sure. Stop choking. <laughs> so the Cyber Ranch Podcast uh, started a year ago. Um, literally, we, we've been on it for a year now. Um, I invite one guest on each episode, each show. And we have one topic per each show. And that guest is usually uh, an executive in the cybersecurity world, um, but sometimes um, sometimes it's a little bit of a twist. Uh, I have a lot of CISOs on the show. I have a lot of CTOs on the show, folks in that sorts of role. But I've even had shows with CMOs, chief marketing officers, talking about their perspective and how to best interoperate with them and what they wish the CISOs knew about their job and you know the, the plight of the CMO, if you will. Uh, we cover technical topics sometimes. Uh, we cover leadership topics sometimes. Sometimes it's about governance, risk management, and compliance, and the people and process and technology side. It's a little bit of everything. Uh, so on that show, we, 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 we try to just really dive into one topic per show, and it's a, it's a big mishmash. There have been 51 episodes at this point, so uh, feel free to browse the history and, and pick a topic that's interesting to you and just dive in and listen as you see fit. Uh, we're hosted at Hacker Valley Media, uh, hackervalley.com, and also wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Well, thank you for that. I've been doing this show for one year, and that is the first time that has ever happened to me where I, that was horrible. So thanks for saving me on that. So let me just go back um, as I was introducing Alan. He is a very respected um, cybersecurity professional, chief information security officer at Trust Mac, Mac, Map. And um, today we're going to talk about cyber trends in 2022. We're not going to just uh, focus on bad stuff. We're going to talk about the good stuff happening out there too. But um, Alan has a lot to say about the subject I was talking about, salespeople. He posted a recent post with some suggestions of how salespeople can get his attention um, and what not to do. So I feel like every salesperson out there should go follow Alan and read what he says, because it is true. Um, he, he, again, um, we're going to, today, there was a lot of buzz going on your post. Today, he posted something about the CISO leaders of vendor companies versus the CISO leaders of global companies, both with the same title, but both treated differently. This was his post. He said, are you a security vendor CISO tired of being excluded from all the reindeer games, real CISO activities? I'm starting a new Slack workplace just for vendor CISOs. DM me if you want in. Fact. Vendor CISOs have to do all the non-vendor CISOs, have to do all the things non-vendor CISOs do under more scrutiny while also helping shape their company's products into the things CISOs will love to use and see. So that's super awesome that you put that out there. And now everyone wants in this new group, and it's pretty obvious why you posted it, but what was your motivation behind that? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've been a, a, a traditional practitioner CISO, uh, and I've been a vendor CISO more than once now, both roles. I'm actually on my fifth CISO role, and I've been a, vend, a vendor CISO, security vendor CISO twice now. And TrustMap is a security company. We do security, cybersecurity performance management. And so it's, it's very interesting. Things like the Avanta summits and the other summits, um, these guys love you when you're a practitioner, but the second you become a vendor, suddenly your name is mud. Uh, and the same thing even happens on Slack groups and LinkedIn groups and, you know, Twitter and all these other things. You, you'll see that there's this real stigma in the industry against security vendor CISOs. People assume that the second you join up with a vendor, somehow you're suddenly not a real CISO and you can't be trusted and everything you say is going to be a sales pitch. And, you know, it's just it's, it's crazy, the assumptions and the stereotypes that are there. And so I just decided enough is enough. I've been on both sides of this fence. Uh, as a practitioner CISO, I feel like I, I dive in and learn and help solve problems, but but I identify problems as a practitioner CISO as well. And it's the vendors, in my mind, in our in our entire cybersecurity community, it's the vendors who, to me, are the ones solving the problems. I think, I think you very often, as a practitioner, um, come up with a great idea. You see the problem statement, right? And and you may even have a, a killer solution in the back of your mind. But it's not like you have the resources or the time to do it. It's the vendors who come along and have the resources and have the time that can double down and focus on one particular problem. Like at, like at my company, it's, you know, how do you report cybersecurity upstairs and how do you measure the efficacy of your security program? You can do that as a CISO and work on that as a CISO and produce spreadsheets and PowerPoints and all these things. But it's going to take a ton of your time versus go to a vendor who specializes in that one thing and they can help you do it quickly and cleanly. And the same thing applies to everything else. Like, um, I'm just trying to think of other examples. I, I, I'm uh, I'm friends with a, a company that I work with a lot uh, who does uh, asset inventory. And they're an automated vendor solution to do asset inventory versus trying to do it yourself with spreadsheets. Again, yes, you can solve problems as a practitioner, but it's, it's, it's more likely that the vendor who comes to you is going to have a better solution to the problem and one that's going to cost you less and take up less of your time. So the vendors are an invaluable part of the community. And it just, it, it, it's a shame to me to see that CISO vendors get uh, disparaged so much. And I absolutely see that. And, I, you know, I commented that I work with all CISOs on the vendor side, on the enterprise side. I have the utmost respect for all of you guys because you have the hardest job in the world. You never know what you're going to wake up to. And, you know, I kind of witnessed a little bit of that because we had a vendor CISO that, um, sponsored all these bourbon happy hours that we hosted all through 2021. I had some magnificent CISOs on those um, that came and we had fun. And this vendor CISO at first, you know, he, he, he was able to get them to realize, hey, I came from your world. Now I'm on this world. I'm still the same as you, you know, right, he right. handled it great. But at first there was just a little bit of like, hey, you're not part of us, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. I, and I definitely see that. And I have to say, and I hate to say this, and I'm going to make some comments about the people that just joined. But if I have, I hate to say this, but if, when I have a vendor CISO, um, sometimes as my keynote speaker, it doesn't attract as many attendees as a CISO from the enterprise side does. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and it's just that whole stigma of they're going to try to sell us their company. Yep. So, it's assumed it's assumed to be a sales pitch every time. And, yeah. and I'm telling you right now, every vendor out there is adding value or they wouldn't exist, right? They're, they're going to get wiped out very quickly if they're not adding value. 
And it, it's up to the individual person, the individual CISO, the individual practitioner. I, you know, I, I'm in charge of securing my company. I still do all the same things a regular CISO does. I've got, all, you know, right now as we speak, I've got projects and rollouts and I have to worry about encryption and EDR and, you know, where are my keys stored and all that good stuff that any CISO worries about. And yes, I'm also endorsing and supporting my company. Um, it's, it's a balancing act to be a vendor CISO and to remain authentic and to remain on task. And if you look at my LinkedIn posts, 99% of them have nothing to do with what my day job is. If you listen to my podcast, 99% of the time, it's got nothing to do with my day job. Uh, here I am now, and I already mentioned my day job. So here's an example of, you know, sometimes it does slip through. But, but at the end of the day, I'm going through the exact same thing the practitioner CISO is because I am still a practitioner CISO. And I'm also trying to improve the plight of all CISOs or I wouldn't have signed up at TrustMap. That's, you know, it's like I, I joined a vendor who I thought was solving a real problem. That's why I'm here. That's not a crime to want to solve problems, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, we have some of our uh, Jonathan Kimmett. He's a CISO at the University of Tulsa, and uh, welcome to the show, Jonathan. He was what a, he's a great follower of ours, and he sits on a lot of our panels. And um, he does follow you because he just told Benjamin um, that uh, he should look watch what you put out there so uh benjamin said benjamin must be a salesperson because he said i guess i need to start following alan no <laughs> so, benjamin's 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 pulling your leg there he's actually been on my podcast oh okay <laughs> I, I didn't know who benjamin was well jonathan benjamin thanks for being here and then uh K joseph martin thanks for being here but jonathan said need to remember that vendor CISOs are people too and we can do great things together in our industry to protect people. Amen on that. So, so I just wanted to spend a few minutes talking about that. And, you know, we have a lot of really important stuff um, that we're going to discuss today. And you said that you were just putting in your trends for 2022 mm -hmm. predictions. So let's kind of start right there. Where, where, where do you want to go with that conversation? Okay. So let me, let me start by saying, first of all, I'm, I'm one of the CISOs that, that normally abhors the, uh, it's the beginning of the year. Let's do our trends, uh, posting, podcasting articles, whatever it might be. I, I've never been a big one on the cybersecurity trends. And the reality is that's because the trends of this year versus last year are probably going to remain pretty constant. Uh, we might see an increase in something that was already around last year or a slight decrease in it. And there may be something new, but the odds are at a predictive trend moment, not too many people are going to actually come up with something clever and new and then also turn out to at the end of the year have been right. Uh, so that's my disclaimer on trends post. But what I was thinking about, uh, and I was putting together a trends analysis for our company uh, for the day job. And I got to thinking about a perspective that I'd never thought of before. And I was going through everyone else's trends list. And of course, there's tons of them already out there at this time of the year. And it occurred to me that there's a breakdown that nobody ever thinks about. And that is which trends are being led by us, the, the defenders, and which trends are being led by the bad guys. It's, it's a very different set of things. So almost everybody will mention ransomware in their trends, right? And, I, you know, it's in my list, too. Of course, ransomware is on the rise. I don't, I don't think in 2022 it's going to do anything other than get worse. Um, but that's an example of a trend that's actually being led by the bad guys. And, and as an industry, it's interesting to me that very often when we talk about trends, everybody leads with what is only the bad guy list. Like, oh, we're going to see more business email compromise. We're going to see more IoT, you know, uh, vulnerabilities and da 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 da. And they're reflecting the negatives. They're reflecting the things that are being led by the bad guys. Um, and that's that's a really interesting perspective because we've got to also think about the good guy perspective. We've got to try to get our own in there. Um, I, I, I'm going to argue that as an industry, we aren't leading as much as we should be. And the bad guys really are to a certain extent dragging us around by our nose rings. 
Um, I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see that get better. But I want to focus on as we talk about trends today, I'm going to always be cognizant of that. Is this a trend being led by the bad guys or a trend being led by the good guys? And I've already thrown one out. Ransomware is a good bad guy trend. Uh, I would argue that third party supply chain stuff, um, when we saw the HVAC company get compromised in the target breach, I think that was the the beginning of a whole new trend that the bad guys are running as well, where I think we're going to see more and more third party attacks not because the third party is the target, but because somebody they supply is the target, right? Supply chain risk um, is is on the minds of the bad guys, not just the good guys. Uh, there's a very deliberate, very on purpose, let's go attack or whatever it might be, a data services company, because we know we can get into, you know, client X via them, uh, the HVAC company feeding target, those kinds of things. So there's another good bad guy trend, uh, if you will, bad guy led trend. Um, so I think that uh, I, th I think that's an example. And then maybe a third one would be the Internet of Things attack surface as another bad guy one. You know, more and more companies are throwing stuff out there that's just willy nilly random stuff, uh, plugs into the Internet, gets an IP address and does some task or some little thing in it, some little doodad or other. And almost all the companies cranking those devices out aren't thinking about cybersecurity at all. And I think the bad guys are well aware of that. And I think we're going to see a rise in, in exploits that come in by way of the Internet of Things. So that's my three bad guy trends. How about, how about that for a start? Well, that is a really good start. And I have a few questions about that. But before I get to that, just a, I want to make sure all the comments are being uh viewed. Uh, back to Joseph, he said, I always leverage leverage vendor expertise to operational new technology. I count on their lessons learned to reduce impact to delivery, which is absolutely true. And back to Steve, well, Steve Williams, thanks for being here. Alan, Al, this is all about you. Alan Alford is definitely one of the rare breeds of CISOs who legitimately cares about improving everyone's security. He will bend over backwards to connect people with others who can help them. That's why everybody needs to come out to my Dallas uh, cybersecurity conference next Thursday at the House of Blues because Alan is my keynote speaker and you are going to be talking with Phil. You want to tell us about that? What you guys Yeah, Philip, Philip Wiley, who's one of the most renowned pen testers on planet Earth, as far as I'm concerned, is going to be my guest. And we're actually going to do the keynote as a live episode of the Cyber Ranch podcast. Yeah. Um, so that'll be an absolute fun Absolute blast. Philip's going to be an amazing guest. I'm looking forward to that. And Steve, you are too sweet. <laughs> well, there's lots of people that have all kinds of great things to say about you. Every time you post, you get, you, you can't even, I, I try to read them, but I'm like, they're never ending. You already told me that you have a whole weekend of figuring out this new group. that. You're, oh, this uh, new Slack. Once I announced it, I mean, we're literally, we're already up to about a hundred people that have pinged me and said, I want in. Um, and so you so probably have, yeah, you probably have CISOs from the other side that mm -hmm. want to be in as well. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So going back to the internet of things, when I noticed, you know, I'm always trying, like, you know, we put on so many events. I'm always trying to find cool gadgets to give away to our event, you know, to our attendees and maybe I'm wrong. But do you feel like this Christmas that you saw a lot of new Internet of Things out there? Oh, yeah. Um, some friends of mine and I are um, fooling around with a, a new class of device that's recently come out that we've been playing with from a security perspective to see just how bad is it. 
uh, digital picture frames that you can oh email my the gosh. photos to. I got one right? of those. My son, I got one of those. See, I didn't two, even realize that. I totally two members of my one. family yeah. receive those, and most of them are set up where you can somehow send them a photo, usually by email or something else. And of course, my immediate reaction was, you know, putting on my bad guy hat, right? I mean, I, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I, I was a hacker when I was a kid. Um, I've, I've done pen testing. I know how to flip the evil bit. And my first thought was, oh my goodness, can you exploit the heck out of this? Um, oh if people haven't locked it down, if the email addresses are walkable, you know, you can imagine waking up and finding pictures you don't want in your picture frame. Um, uh, you know, not to mention other, other nefarious things that can be done. And that's just one random little quick example of just, I saw those under the tree and immediately thought I can hack that. Yeah. That thing is crazy because my, my son and his wife gave it to me and I'm like, well, how do I use it? You have to download an app and I have to upload the photos. Well, I haven't touched it since they set it up because I just haven't had time. And there are random photos. I'm like, how are these photos getting on here? Nothing that's bad, but I'm just like, so right. they definitely have tapped into my pictures because I, I don't. Yeah, because the way you're supposed to do it, you are supposed to have control of what's yep. on there. But now all of a sudden I'll walk by it. It's 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 in my bar area of my house and I'll walk by it. I'm like, how'd that photo get on <laughs> Where there? Where did that come from? Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, and that's just scraping the surface because at the end of the day, that's annoying. You know, possibly something vulgar happens, whatever. It's you know, it's a bad experience for the person who owns it. But but what you don't think about is that device is probably running an operating system. That operating system can probably be compromised. And once that once once somebody's taking control of that little device, it's no longer just about loading pictures. They could put something else on that software that is now monitoring the rest of your house. And suddenly they're stealing your passwords, or suddenly they're um, you know getting into your Wi-Fi and and leveraging your internet connection, or you know in the case of other devices that may have more horsepower to them, maybe they're mining cryptocurrency uh, when they take over the system. There's you know so it's. It, there's always a deeper layer of bad that can happen with IoT. Uh, everyone thinks of the innocuous little devices that don't have a lot of CPU to them and don't have a lot of compute and a lot of horsepower, but but there's tons of IoT that does. And, you know, I've got friends that are healthcare CISOs, uh, and and I, I just, I've never been a CISO in healthcare. I, I, I don't know if I could do it because you're talking about a hospital filled with what is effectively IoT. Every device and doodad is on the network. Uh, but it's directly tied to whether or not the person hooked up to it actually lives or dies. Uh, you want to talk about, you know, IOT compromise becoming a massive and real problem. Like go, go look at any doctor's office or any hospital. Those guys face that every day. Yeah, that, that's really scary. And we've had, we've had speakers that have talked about medical devices and I mean that, uh, yeah, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show. So, yeah. um, so, and then we go back to ransomware. I was listening to your podcast um, right before we went on the, you know, right before we aired and I was listening to your top, you know, 50 guests that you had in the past year. And one of them, I think it was from JetBlue. I think he was uh -huh. on there and he was just talking about, you know, you the surprises that you have when you wake up in the morning. And, yep. you know, this morning I was going through my emails and my accountant asked me about, thank God it was something coming in and not going out. And, you know, I immediately panicked that it was a fun going out, you know, and I thought, oh my God, you know, is this, did we just get attacked? But, you know, what, how, what is, what do you think is the biggest thing that is making the CISOs, you know, toss and turn and not sleep at night? I think it's still ransomware. I do. I, I think ransomware is number one. And it's because ransomware has evolved. It used to be that the bad guys would break in, uh, lock your stuff up away from you, and then demand money to give you your own stuff back. 
um, now almost every single time, and we're talking 70 or 80% was the last statistics I saw, and that's on a steady rise. It'll soon be 100% as far as I'm concerned. They're also grabbing and stealing all your data first. So even if you manage to have all the capabilities in place to recover yourself and you've got good clean offsite tape backups and all the things you might need to do to rebuild what they encrypted, um, they will still leak what they stole if you don't pay them money. And so it's no longer just about encrypting and ransoming. It's also about extortion. Uh, and depending on what kind of business you are and what kind of data that might be, that could be a hugely damaging thing to have that kind of data released. And as with all criminals and as with all ransomware scenarios, you know, okay, fine, pay the ransom. These are bad guys you're dealing with. You have no guarantee whatsoever that they aren't going to release the data anyway, uh, that they're going to delete what they claim they have. And, you know, oh, oh, we'll delete it if you pay. You don't know that. You don't know anything. Um, it's not uncommon at all for the decryption tools they provide. If you go ahead and pay the ransom, they'll send you decryption tools. And those decryption tools are, in fact, Trojan horses loaded with other malware and other bad things. Um, you pay once, you've, you've, you've put a mark on your forehead that you're the sort who will pay. Uh, and they may well go through the whole exercise, help you recover, and a month later, it's the exact same people hit you again. There's, there's just a lot of bad with ransomware. There's just a lot of bad with ransomware. And so tell us about some of the positive trends that you're seeing to stop ransomware. So it used to be that the bulk of ransomware was coming through phishing. Uh, through fake emails that try to get you to log in and give your credentials away. And, and eventually they'd harvest enough credentials and they could move around and get onto a system where an admin had been logged in in the past or, or even better yet, get an admin to give their credentials. And, you know, basically getting enough usernames and passwords on the network to figure their way out to escalating per permissions and privileges, doing more damage with an admin level and then taking over and doing the ransomware attack itself. Um, Fortunately for us, phishing is much more known and understood. I think, I think even my mom knows what phishing is. Um, and there's, there's been a lot of good work and a lot of good effort. I'm on an advisory board of a company that does you know, security awareness training, and that's, that's a huge niche in the industry now. They, there's a ton of security awareness training out there. A lot of that is helping with the phishing, but also MFA, multi-factor authentication. I think a lot of folks have realized you're never going to be able to educate everybody to not click. Um, but if you've got multi-factor authentication, fine, let the bad guys get a password. They still need more to get in. Uh, so I think there's been an uptick in uh, phishing awareness. I think there's been an uptake in, in security awareness training, uh, phishing exercises, you know, getting, getting the general populace trained up on that. But also the MFA has been on the rise. I think we're seeing good progress there. So, so that's some of the good things to help thwart ransomware. But then there's the other flavor of ransomware, which does not rely on credentials at all, but rather on directly exploiting vulnerabilities. Uh, we saw things last year with, um, you know, I don't want to name vendors, but very popular vendors with tools and equipment and software that, that everybody uses that turns out there was a massive vulnerability and somebody could get in and do the thing. And once they were doing the thing, they could intercept the passwords and log in directly, seize admin privileges, uh, et cetera. There's been plenty of vendors busted for this in the last few years. And so um, MFA and phishing awareness and security awareness are not enough um, because there's still the direct vulnerability exploit means of ransomware getting in the door. And so this ties into uh, uh, another company. I'm on an advisory board of another company that does vulnerability management. Uh, there's a reason for that, right? I think MFA and vulnerability management jointly are the two things that you absolutely have to stay on top of if you want to block ransomware. That's, that's, the, that's the two uh, forks in that road. Um, vulnerability management to prevent the bad guys from breaking in in the first place. Of course, you can't do anything about zero-day threats. 
Uh, and some of the ones that came out last year that I mentioned were, you know, popular vendors were busted, um, where people were breaking in through their systems and getting admin access. Sometimes it is a zero day threat. Um, and there's not much you can do about that from a vulnerability management perspective. But staying on top of what you do know about and patching all the things that you do know about becomes very, very, very crucial in your ransomware defense as well. Well, Jonathan Kimmett said the same thing. Ransomware doesn't bother me so much, but all the vulnerabilities that allow ransomware to take hold really concerns mm -hmm. me, which ties into what you said. We had another viewer, George P. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting the show. But did you have a comment on what Jonathan had said? Uh, that's, that's exactly it. Um, yeah. The holes, because the holes are bigger than ransomware too. You know, vulnerability management isn't just about ransomware. It's about all the bad things that can happen. Um, and and a hole where the bad guy can get in is a hole where the bad guy can get in, period. Uh, and, and Jonathan's right. That should scare you more than the ransomware threat because it's bigger than the ransomware threat. It represents ransomware plus all the other bad things that can happen. So when you were writing up your your trends for your company and your analysis, what, what else, you know, I, you were just on, you were on James's our show yesterday, yeah. you were telling me. Yeah. And one of the things James is really good about is not, let's not just talk about the bad stuff. Let's talk yeah. about the good stuff going on. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing that, you know, security postures are improving? Mm -hmm. What are just, just where, where did we go from last year when we saw what happened with solar winds to where we are today with some positive trends? Okay, so I'll start with, we'll call this the good guy trends, the ones that are started by the defense team, not by the offense team. Um, there's an interesting one because some people are going to see this as a very positive thing and others are going to be like, oh my goodness, this is one of the worst things we could possibly do. But it's still at least indicative of taking more control and having more authority over our circumstances as defenders, and that is more government involvement. Uh, like it or lump it, there's been more executive orders. Uh, there's been more work. It started with the Trump administration. The Biden administration is doing it, too, you know, here in the U.S. And I know we've probably got an international audience here. Um, America's not the only country that has seen more uptick and more stuff coming in uh, from governmental oversight and, you know, mandates and requirements and baselines. Now, at a glance, these things are very good for us because um, putting some teeth behind let's get some baselines in place so that we all know we're at least here. Uh, these are good things, but of course, government intervention, <laughs> how well and efficient the government is at doing it, how well they recognize the realities and, and the logistics of doing a thing, you know, that's a whole nother topic of conversation. Um, you know, anytime the government kicks in the door and says, you know, go do it this way, um, there's, there's always that chance that the way they're saying is, is the wrong way. Um, but, but I still take it overall as a positive sign that we're starting to see a, a legislative and executive order level approach towards some of these problems, even if it's only aimed at federal agencies themselves in some cases. Um, somebody's got to say, get your act together and get more secure, um, because otherwise securing the funding to do all the things and fix all the things is always a challenge, right? I have never worked anywhere where I got 1,000% of the budget. Um, I, I've never worked anywhere where I've gotten 100% of the budget, right? I mean, businesses have a million things to spend money on, and security is only one of them. So getting some external incentives to escalate and improve and, and increase security budgets is never a bad thing in my book. Um, although, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Government's the government, right? So how's that going to change? I mean, I, weren't we talking about this during Colonial Pipeline? I mean, when is the government going to come in? I mean, how, how's that going to happen? Do you have any insight on that? It's, it's already starting to happen. Uh, we did a show uh, on my podcast a little while back. I had uh, some of the fellows from MITRE uh, come over, and uh, there's a gentleman from Attack IQ as well. And 
It was an interesting show. There were some executive orders that were analyzed. Uh, there were some CISA directives that were analyzed. Um, we're starting to see traction and movement happening. And we're starting to see organizations like CISA and MITRE more empowered than they used to be. And it's already happening. There are already rules hitting the books that are mandating, um, you know, the way that, um, you know, at least government agencies themselves have to behave in terms of cyber and certain baselines they have to establish. Um, CMMC is going through some very interesting convolutions right now. Um, that's one I'm tracking very, very closely. CMMC 1.0 had five tiers, uh, and this was all basically CMMC was a set of cyber regulations for entities doing business with um, the government, with the DOD. And CMMC 1.0 was very rigorous and had a five-tiered model. And to achieve tier five, you had to really, 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 really have some rigor and some discipline to your cyber program. They backpedaled a little bit. CMMC 2.0 isn't ratified yet, but they've gone from five tiers to three. And um, tier one is pretty much self-attestation now. So that's one instance of, I think, the government uh, mandate going the wrong direction. Um, but but there are other executive orders and other briefings coming out and other legislation being talked about and, and being passed uh, as well. That's all helping drive some of that a little further. Um, so it's it's a mixed bag, but I think we're seeing more activity uh, from from DC than we ever have. So Joseph said third, third and fourth party. Did he mean vendors there? Increase yep. the attack vector. Absolutely, uh, he's absolutely right. Um, that is, you know, and this is this is what I said in my in my second bullet of supply chain. Um, I think the bad guys are aware that the supply chain is there, are paying attention to who is whose customer, and figuring out if I if I break these guys, can I get to those guys? Um, I, I worked in one shop, I won't say whom, but I worked in one shop that was a smaller adjunct to a larger entity, and the larger entity was a very popular target for the bad guys. And as a smaller subsidiary of that larger entity, I was under more scrutiny than anybody else my size would be uh, because I was an obvious target and an easier target to hit to get into the big guys. Um, in other words, you know, this, this is a pretty common formula, and the ransomware guys know this too now, by the way. They've figured this one out, and this is part of why ransomware is going to be worse, I think, in 2022 than it was last year. If you are a smaller organization, the odds are you are less well-defended than if you are a larger organization, at least in terms of resources and budget and such things available to the cause. I'm not going to say that just because you're big automatically means you're better defended. There's plenty of big shops that because they have a larger attack surface aren't on top of that, and they themselves are more vulnerable than a smaller shop. But in general... The bigger shops are at least invested more in their cybersecurity. And so the little guys are easier to pick off. This is why the HVAC system was what the door was into Target, right? This is why at my former job, I was a target into the, our, our bigger owners. Um, they assumed I would be a weaker attack surface because I was smaller and less well-funded. Well, in my case, I had to be well-funded because we knew that was a problem and, and it was addressed. But that's not the case for every little subsidiary. So um, size and scale matter a lot, and the bad guys have caught in on that. Small size SMB ransomware is on the rise versus the bigger enterprise stuff. Uh, the bad guys are well aware of the little guys. Um, you know, you think about a dentist office and GDPR and HIPAA and all the things they're beholden to, but they're just a little dentist office with, you know, 15 employees and maybe one contract IT guy. And, you know, that's a right target for some serious data uh, and one that's probably not very well defended either. And, and the bad guys have picked up on this. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a lot of friends that are business owners and, you know, have some, I, that are not protected and I try to warn them and it, you know, they're not going to realize it until it happens. So there's, there's so many, you know, 
easy pickings out there for the bad guys. But uh, Jonathan Kimmett has a good question. When we think about new compliance versus insurance versus the fear of ransomware, et cetera, what do you think will be the most effective in change to the industry? That's a hard one to call, but I'm going to go with insurance and here's why. I think the insurance companies are doing what all of us need to be doing. They've gotten wise. There were so many ransomware payouts last year that they've had to rethink their strategy and their paradigm. And this, this actually goes into uh, my second good guy trend uh, for the year because we, we've only covered the first one, which is the government stuff. Uh, the second good guy trend is, in my mind, um, all of us have to get better at measuring and reporting the efficacy of our cybersecurity programs. Now, total disclaimer, I'm, I'm bordering on my day job here, so hopefully I won't sound like a commercial. But the, the basic idea that we all have programs in place that we have to somehow demonstrate and measure the efficacy of those programs. We have to be able to evaluate risk. We have to evaluate the cost of dealing with risk. We have to balance all these factors and report them in some meaningful way. You better believe that every single cyber insurance company on planet Earth right now is doubling down on that very idea themselves because they had so many payouts last year. And how did they start? They started with questionnaires and they started with some loosey-goosey stuff. And, and, you know, it was the wild, wild west when cybersecurity insurance first got started. And a lot of companies signed up and got, you know, got their policies in place and paid their, paid their premiums and got their policies. And then the bad thing happened. And, you know, investigation had to be done to discover that, oh, well, they weren't doing the following three things and that's why they got popped or they weren't doing the following five things and that's why they got popped or whatever it might be. Well, you better believe the next year those three things or those five things are on the awareness radar of the, of the insurance companies. And so I'm expecting a lot more insurance scrutiny. I'm expecting a lot more measurement in the industry as a whole, um, not just from the insurance companies, but from people having to measure their own programs, from organizations having to measure themselves. Everybody has to get more savvy at understanding what they're up against, measuring that risk, and also understanding how they're going to combat that risk and most effectively combat that risk. And all of this involves measuring your own programs. So cybersecurity performance management, big deal. Um, I've got a friend who is a mathematician uh, who's an author of uh, several books on the subject of measuring risk, uh, has just recently signed on with a cyber insurance uh, company as, as their chief. Um, I'm not sure what his official title is, but he's, um, he's basically the one doing the measurement and the analytics uh, for the cyber risk for this insurance company, uh, trying to fine tune and refine that measurement process so that um, so that the company can better write policies and better understand what its premium structure should look like, right? So, measurement is a big trend uh, for for the good guy trend for 2022. I think we're all going to be doing it, and I think I think the cyber insurance more than anybody's going to be doing it. Well, do you think that there's where is the accountability going to come from? I mean, do you ever think we're going to get to a place where if you do get hit by an attack because you weren't compliant and you left doors open, you know, should there be fines? Should there should the government come in and somehow be involved with that? That's already happening if you think about it from the privacy realm. If you look at GDPR and CCPA and some of these other privacy laws, that's really what they're saying is data got leaked. And you're going to be penalized for the fact that that data got leaked. Now, in this case, it's private and personal data of customers and, and whomever else. It might be employees. Um, but that's obviously the foot in the door for that kind of legislation. Data, data breach uh, of private information equals fines and penalties is, is already an established practice globally. It's already there. Uh, and the cyber insurance companies themselves, back to their ability to measure, um, there's new clauses where if, if it turns out you didn't do X, Y, and Z, we're not paying out, period. Um, so that's part of it as well. Uh, I think there's private sector and public center, uh, public sector incentives on that space already in play. And I think we're going to see more of it in 2022 all around. 
Do you feel like Colonial Pipeline, because they paid, um, opened the door for, I mean, what, what effect do you think that left in for other consumers or other large corporations by them paying? Yeah, so I don't know that I want to fault any one entity for paying. Um, I don't. I, I think there's a certain amount of, um, how do I put it? So, so there's laws against paying. Uh, th there are many laws against paying, especially depending on whom you pay and how you pay, uh, because you never know if there's terrorist ties and whatever else might be going on, or you know if they're a nation state attacker, are they on the uh, are they on the naughty naughty nations list, etc. But I have never heard of any company getting busted for paying, uh, even if they potentially did break some rule or another by doing so. And and it's because there's a certain amount of you know my God, you've already been ransomware. You're, you're the victim here, and now while you're down, the cops are going to arrest you. You know what I'm saying? Like the cop comes into the alley, finds you mugged with your wallet missing, and handcuffs you. Like like <laughs> there's a certain amount of like, oh, my goodness, let's just not do that to people. So the fact that people sometimes pay and have to pay, um, I don't think there's any shame in that. I, I don't think it's a healthy course. I think it's a course with an awful lot of risk, but I'm not going to shame anybody for making that choice if that's the choice they feel like they had to make in those, in those circumstances because it, it does happen. People do pay. Uh, there's much more paying than there used to be, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fault anyone for feeling like that's the best avenue out of the out of their circumstances once they get hit. Everyone has a different opinion on that, so I'm always mm -hmm. interested to hear the CISO's opinions on that. Um, George um, had a question. Well, he didn't have a question. He just said, "Agreed. If you're not mitigating risk on your own, you'll have more security scrutiny from insurance." We had a we had a show about six months ago where we had an insurance agent that knew more about cybersecurity than you could imagine because he was selling cybersecurity insurance. So right. um, Benjamin uh, Coral said completely agree with Alan's comments and great question from Jonathan Kinnett. That was thanks. a great question. Yeah. Thanks everyone for uh, chiming in. We, we love to hear, hear your comments out there. So now let's go to your third your third trend right. for the good guys. The last trend for the good guys is buzzword time. We you Zero need trust. your you need your um your your <laughs> background music. I've got I've got applause and laugh track. I need to get the snare the snare drum roll. Um, <laughs> All right, zero trust. But zero trust. Uh, yes, buzzword centric. Um, buzzword city. Buzzword arama. Uh, zero trust. I, I freely admit it's one of those. It's kind of like sassy. Uh, it's kind of like XDR, um, where companies that were doing who knows what uh, decided, hey, that's a trend that that seems to be sailing. So I'm going to call my product that. Throw a bunch of things in a box, wrap it up in a ribbon, and call it XDR. Call it sassy. Call it zero trust. Whatever. Um, zero trust is definitely one of those. I freely admit that. So don't think I'm some sort of uh, uh, just idiot here. Um, but at the end of the day, zero trust is a paradigm, and the paradigm says trust nobody. Um, treat insiders and outsiders the same way. I don't care if you are an authorized user on my network, you're still going to have to go through certain hoops. Uh, I don't care if you're a bad guy trying to get in, you have to go through hoops. And and those hoops should be rigorous and should be implemented for everybody. We already talked about MFA. We already talked about phishing awareness. I think zero trust truly is the last adjunct to helping protect ourselves. And it's especially important in 2022 because let's be honest here, all this idea that we were all going to be heading back to the office sometime soon. Yeah, right. Um, Zero trust is a must for a distributed workforce. It's a must. And so I think meaningful, real zero trust implementations are, um, are already in place for the successful folks and need to be in place for those who want to be successful in terms of some of the cybersecurity fundamentals that you have to have in 2022. So I'm going to say zero trust is my third trend for the good guys. 
So can we break that down a little bit? And for those companies out there, are those listeners, what are some of your, what's some advice of how to become, you know, how, how do they implement zero trust? So at the heart of all of it, to me, the most important and critical thing, which a lot of companies ironically don't even include in their cyber program, but rather in IT is identity and access management, knowing who the heck is who, what the heck is what, what's allowed to do what, who's allowed to do what, and flowing and tracking them through the environment as well as through the life cycle. Uh, when a new user gets created, JML, joiners, movers, levers. I think identity and access management is, is probably the most crucial strategy you can have. Uh, from there, you get into any number of tools. You know, back in the day, it was knack-nap type approach. Nowadays, it's more like SASE, uh, secure configuration management. Uh, I don't want to name vendors, but there's plenty of tools out there that do that. Um, EDR, I would say, is a strong component. You want to have a strong endpoint game. Uh, you want to be able to validate endpoints if you're doing BYO. Uh, you've got to have an agent and an environment-based solution, both. Um, so there's a lot of ins and outs and a lot of factors and variables to a proper zero-trust program, but it is definitely more than one technology solution. There is no out-of-the-box, oh, here's my zero-trust. You're going to be deploying a lot of things. Jonathan, um, again, chimed in and said, I think uh, the important part of zero-trust is the journey towards it. If you can make small steps towards Zero trust, you can make huge steps, huge leaps forward. Absolutely. Just just start with some really basic stuff like, um, is it allowed to connect to the network uh, without a, a basic health check? You know, run a basic health check on anything allowed to, you know, hit the network. And if you pass the check, you're on. And if you don't pass the check, you're off. Just some really basic steps like that. Get some basic EDR in place. Uh, make sure that your endpoints are protected by more than just old school AV, right? Um, it, it still shocks me how many of our Industry standard frameworks are out there still mentioning old school AV and not acknowledging EDR. Um, XDR, buzzword that it is, uh, expands that footprint into the network and, and some of the other spaces and places as well. You know, the, the sky's the limit, but, but Jonathan's absolutely right. Baby steps, like do what you can to start. Lock down your endpoints, get a good handle on them, make sure you got a solid patching system in place, make sure you can check for the presence of the right softwares and the right patches before you allow the connectivity to take place. SASE is a, is a very valuable tool if you're going to be doing this in cloud environments. Um, you know, Casby's have some capability there as well. There's, you know, there's, there's a ton of tech involved, but baby steps is definitely a good way to get going. You know, Naomi Buckwater that we talked about, you mm -hmm. know her, she was our keynote speaker yesterday. And I wish I could quote what she said, but she talked about 98, I think it was around like 98% of companies are small there. You know, there's, there's only, uh, certain amount of enterprise global companies mm -hmm. you know 95 percent are 500 employees or less she i, I don't i'm not yeah but anyway so with those companies that are smaller companies how does someone even wrap their head around all these going back to my opening all these vendors out there and who you should talk to and what you should do and where yep. you should go so knowing that you're a target more than ever um, is, is the other part of that question, right? And this is what we talked about earlier. It's vital that you find somebody, anybody. Um, the fractional CISO and VCISO community is there to accommodate and oblige exactly those needs. Um, the VCISO community, virtual CISO, fractional CISO, there's tons of folks that, that their organization just isn't big enough to um, deal with or manage on their own a full security program, but there are folks out there that can contribute 25% of their time to this company, 25 to that company, et cetera, et cetera. You get, you, you get a part-time CISO, but you're getting something. Uh, so my advice to anybody in those circumstances is reach out 
explore and learn about VCSOs and fractional CISOs. There's local folks you can work with. There's bigger companies that you can work with. I've, I've got dozens of friends that are VCSOs. I'm partner with some of them at the day job, partner with them in other circumstances as well. I've had VCSOs on my podcast. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Uh, so reach out to those folks and start with them. Well, that's, that's actually really great advice that I think people wouldn't even think of doing that. You know, just trying to figure it out on your own is too overwhelming in this industry because there's so much information out there again. And that's, that goes back to me opening up the intro is that you do have 5,000 people calling you, telling you 5,000 different stories. So it is nice to try to you know, the community is great. Our cyber community is great because there are so many resources out there. Um, Joseph just brought up strong uh, CASB, conditional access rules. Yeah, CASB. We talked about that. that that's definitely a factor. Um, CASB rules matter. So um, we're coming up. We probably have about five or six more minutes before the show ends. What... Um, so we went through all three of your trends for the good guys. Yep. We talked about ransomware. Um, yep. What um, what else? You, I mean, what next? I mean, what what what's your goal for 2022 as a CISO for TrustMap? Yeah. So uh, this is where I wear. I, I will wear my vendor hat now and flagrantly, you know, mention my company's mission for just a brief moment. I talked about the importance of measuring. Um, that's what we're doing at TrustMap. That's we're here to help CISOs measure the efficacy of their programs. Uh, measure how they do it, figure out and predict and calculate where they should put their best spend to solve the problems they're solving. Um, people want to talk about measuring risk, measuring maturity. Uh, they want to talk about uh, aligning with business objectives. We're there to help do all that. So that's what I'm focused on at TrustMap is, is helping every CISO I know get better at that aspect of the game. Um, internal to CISO, uh, internal to TrustMap, wearing my, my practitioner CISO hat. Um, I've got a whole bunch of projects rolling out as we speak. Don't want to get into details. Um, but suffice it to say, I'm in the cloud, I'm on the endpoints, I'm doing all the things that regular CISOs do, and I've got tons of work happening. Um, you know, new new key infrastructure has just been rolled out. Uh, MFA is everywhere. You know, we're, we're doing all the same things. I'm not just, you know, preaching, do these things for ransomware, I'm practicing them too. You know, one thing that I've seen in the past six months, because I'm always reaching out to CISOs, because I'm always securing, trying to get people to speak at our conferences and sit on our panels, I've noticed a lot of CISOs um, not a lot, but a, a, taking a step back, taking a step down. Do you think that the pressure is getting too heated? I had a whole show um, about the post-CISO life and what does that look like. Um, a lot of, you know, there's there's a ton of shows about becoming a CISO and, and there's a ton of shows about how to be a good CISO and how to, you know, how to improve your CISO game. But there's been a really interesting trend amongst my friends and I've got, you know, I'm connected to hundreds of CISOs, hundreds. And I can tell you, I am not the only one who has jumped to the vendor side of the house recently. There, that seems to be a very large trend of folks that are doing that. I've seen some folks exit out to become the CIO and sort of, you know, hand the security off to somebody else and take over as a general purpose technology executive. Uh, I've seen people quit uh, altogether and retire early. Um, I have seen people that have uh, decided to go start their own companies. Uh, I've got friends that are now running VCSO companies as, you know, used to be practitioner CISOs and now they're full-time VCSOs. Um, a lot of different trends. And throughout all of those exits, that variety of exits people are doing, a lot of people are even exiting out to board roles and things of that sort as well. Um, there's been a general trend in the industry in the last year, especially with COVID and with the massive work from home migration that that some of us planned for and some of us didn't, but all of us are dealing with. 
And um, there's been some real CISO burnout. There has absolutely been some real burnout. Um, there is a higher average of uh, drug and alcohol abuse among CISOs than there is uh, in other similar executive roles. Uh, there have been studies that have shown that. Um, there are a lot of folks that are burning out and just walking away from the game altogether. Uh, that's happening too. It can be a very thankless job. Um, the running joke when I was in IT is that um, you know everybody will call and complain the second something crashes, but nobody ever calls and says, thank you for the fact that the servers are up today. Mm -hmm. uh, Security is the same story. No one cares you're there. You're just a pain. You're, an, you're a nuisance. You're, you're demanding money and costing them money. And, and then suddenly the bad thing happens and you're in the gun sites and, and life is horrible. It's, it can be a very thankless job. And I mentioned earlier as well that the bad guys tend to be leading the industry uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, the good guys are lagging behind the bad guys. They're kind of jerking us around. That aspect of the game can be very wearing uh, on the soul as well. Feeling like, oh, my God, I'm doing everything I can do, and yet the bad guys still seem to keep coming up with a new trick, and they're always one step ahead of me. So there's a lot of factors and reasons why uh, being a CISO is a very hard and very challenging role. Um, so I, I emphasize for myself uh, the positive aspects of it. For one thing, it's a noble profession. At the end of the day, protecting others, making the world more secure, keeping the world safe from bad guys, these are worthy pursuits. These are truly worthy pursuits. Um, learn how to celebrate your small victories is another piece of advice I always give CISOs that are, that are teetering on burnout. Is, you know, you're not going to secure the world overnight. It's never going to happen. Um, but every time you get a small victory, celebrate it. Take the time to celebrate small victories. Uh, lean on each other. I'm a member of many, many, many CISO communities, Slack channels, LinkedIn groups, all this stuff. Lean on your fellow CISOs. They are there for you. Uh, we're all going through the same fight. Uh, we've all been through the same struggles. We've all had our ups and downs. And at any given point, if you're having a down, there's plenty of other people having an up who can sort of lift you up and, and help kind of get you back to rights. So lean on your other CISOs. Celebrate your small victories. Um, recognize that you're doing a very noble calling and, uh, and, and let those things lead your mind rather than the negatives. Well, and I've also seen um, a big trend of the CISOs that work for the government sector that are getting out of there because the pressure over there is, you know, and they're coming over to the vendor side, A, because they know they can make more money. And, um, you know, that, that's, and it's just hard. I mean, what do you feel like, what do you feel, we're down to about three minutes left, but in a few words, what, what do you think their biggest challenge is over on the government side? You know, they're walking targets with less budget than we have. Um, they're massive targets, and they're usually not funded as well as we are. And because government salaries generally pay less, um, they're not necessarily getting the best caliber of people. Sometimes they are. There's plenty of people that have, that have, you know, back to what I was saying about noble profession and noble calling. Don't get me wrong. There's tons and tons of government workers that are absolutely top tier in their game. Tons mm -hmm. of them. But there's also a lot of folks that that recognize, gee, I could be making twice as much over there. And so there's a lot of exits and there's a lot of people leaving. And so there's some challenges with the resources and, and how much they're able to pay their resources. Um, there's, there's a massive target on every government entity's back. Um, you know, I mean, think about ransomware in the Social Security Administration. Boy, that would be the dream for the ransomware crowd, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, so they're, they're big targets. They're underfunded. Uh, they can't pay their people competitively with, with the way the private sector is paying. So there's a lot of challenges for those folks. Yeah, I agree. And that, you know, we all need to thank those guys because there's a lot of good friends out there that are mine that, um, you know, they're working hard. They, they yep. don't, they don't get to come and talk at my events because they're too, 
they're too bogged down and they need help. And when you guys see those people out there, we need to thank them because they are working hard and they are dedicated to their job. And there are so many wonderful things coming out of the government as well that are helping. You know, I, I look at I look at organizations like CISA and I look at MITRE and I look at some of these other things. And, you know, there's some amazing stuff that that they're generating and doing and leading the industry with uh, that I think gets overlooked a lot in the private sector. So we um, are about to close. Is there any parting words that you'd like to, you know, shout out to our listeners and what they can do um, better in 2022? And we're down to a minute. All right. So one minute, uh, quick 30 second synopsis. I'd say um, if you enjoy this conversation, please do come listen to my show, the Cyber Ranch podcast. I try to have conversations just like this one with guests who are far brighter than I am. Um, I, I try to shut up and listen more on my show than be the one speaking. Um, so, so do come give the show a listen. Uh, for the rest of you that are in the game, stay in the game. Uh, it's a noble calling. Stay with it. All right. Alan Alf. Alford, not Alford, Alan Alford. Um, he is the CISO of Trust Map. He's going to be our keynote speaker next week in Dallas. We're at the House of Blues. You guys need to come out and see us in person. We're also streaming that event too. So anybody out there, you guys can sign up and um, you can watch it virtually as well. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know you're super busy and this was super last minute that you were available. Thank you, Alan. I look forward to meeting you in person next week. Thanks everyone for tuning in today to another uh, sh- great show. Sorry about my hiccup in the beginning when I was choking on who knows what. Um, thanks so much, everyone. You guys have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay secure, and we'll see you right back here next Friday. For tuning into and security for all. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim H A K I M to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. 